Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. It's Thursday afternoon, so of course we are here with Dr. Kavita Patel, a co-host who is in Washington, D.C. Kavita, of course, is a fellow at the Brookings Institution, a practicing physician, a former Obama White House official. How are you doing, Kavita? I'm feeling peachy king. Optimism is the theme of the day today, David. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that never, never lasts. It's almost, this is Lucy in the football with this podcast. And we are joined by special guest today and friend Karen Finney, who has been communications advisor to Hillary Clinton has been a political commentator. Is that her own political commentary show from time to time? How are you doing, Karen? I'm doing great. And, you know, I usually say peachy keen, so I'll just sign on. I'll co-sign to the peachy keen, although I'm not so optimistic. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, see, it's already going. <laughs> so the optimism lasted 20 seconds. Here we are, Karen, and somehow we've managed to uh, get the, the Congress to agree to avoid destroying the U.S. economy for six weeks, which in only in the United States economy, is that like considered a major achievement? Although they reserve the right to destroy it in six weeks. So we can return our attention to this incredibly controversial set of bills that direct investment dollars toward things that desperately need investment dollars that everybody in the country supports. Democrat support, Republican support, independent support of all the component parts of the bill. I think the least popular ones are supported by about 65% of the people. The most popular ones are supported by 80% of the people. And because we're a representative democracy, none of that matters, right? You know, I mean, for some reason, this is all hanging in the balance right now. The, The administration's come up with a great package that everybody likes, and yet they're stalled. Why is it, Karen? Why are we stalled? Because the GOP is made very clear a couple of things. They are the party of Trump. They are the party that is still perpetrating the big lie. They are the party that doesn't want to talk about or acknowledge the attack on our democracy on January 6th. They are the party that blocked the American Rescue Plan, which put money in people's pockets and shots in people's arms and the child tax credits. They are the party of obstruction. But here's the big problem. They now don't see the American people as Americans. To them, we're partisans. So it's all about their partisan gains. To them, Republicans see this as they don't want to give Joe Biden a win. 
and they are willing to go to those lengths at the expense of their own people. Because the things that we're talking about, childcare, we know that women, for example, have been kicked out of the workforce, can't go back to work because of childcare at record numbers. We know that actually I've been listening to focus groups this week. There are parts of this country where businesses can't open because they don't have enough staff. One business owner was talking about how they open at four o'clock every day because that's when school gets out and either the teenager can come and work in their business or can go home and babysit and the mom or dad can come. They don't want to invest in that. They don't want to make these investments, these long overdue investments, universal pre-K, despite the fact that our children at record numbers we're seeing have record loss, educational loss because of the pandemic. They don't want to expand the Affordable Care Act in the middle of a pandemic. Instead, they want to obstruct. They want to put partisanship over getting things done for the American people, despite the fact that, again, as you said, 65%, 70%, we know that that includes voters of all backgrounds. You know, Kavita, I have a lot of respect for Karen, and I don't want to, like, undercut her argument, you know, five seconds into the into the podcast. But the reality, of course, is we've written off the Republicans long of this. There was never any chance they were going to support any of this, not even one of them. So this all came down to whether the Democrats were going to support this. Now, you know, how many Democrats are there in Capitol? There are like 220 in the House and like 50 in the Senate. So that's like 270 people. And it seems to me that almost all of those people support this. You know, there are sort of nine or 10 people in the House, the Problem Creators Caucus, as we like to refer to them here, who've been a problem on this. And there are two senators. And I don't understand what they're doing. I mean, I understand a little bit what Joe Manchin is doing. He's negotiating. But Kristen Cinema, I mean, you're a doctor. Maybe you can diagnose what she's doing because I don't get it. I know. I've tried. I've tried. I've, I've, I've actually asked that question of friends who either worked for her in the past or mutual colleagues. I'm like, what is going on, people? And they're like, you know, she's just not as front of the camera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, uh, no, she's doing a pretty good amount of devastation from behind the camera by doing nothing. And then Senator Manchin, you're right, he's negotiating, but somehow he's negotiating away like democratic principles. Like, I mean, they're, you know, uh, Karen, I, I was going to ask you about they're including Hyde Amendment language. That might be because of a bird reconciliation budget rule. Fine. But Manchin himself went on record saying, like, that's a non-starter, you know. And so I'm sitting here thinking, like, what are we the party of? I think that. <laughs> I've just never, I, I just never had, we've talked about this, David. I've never had faith that we were going to jam through some multi-trillion dollar package because the Senate always screws this. I mean, the Senate just has this way. And by the way, McConnell knows it. McConnell just has to stand back and watch it happen because it always happens. You wouldn't, you know, it always happens. So I don't know. We're going to end up with a $1.5 trillion package. And then I did this last week on the pod or two weeks, two weeks ago. Sorry. Karen, I was telling David, I said, you know, the Biden administration deserves a lot of praise. They put something bold out. They're expanding on the promise of like your point, ACA, et cetera. I'm actually concerned. I know people feel like they're a presence on the Hill. But I mean, today I kind of watched the president's, you know, Michigan. I, I watched this and I was like, 
this is it. Like you're putting, this is what you're going to talk about that you know, vaccine mandates work, but where is that like burning? Like this is 5 million women in the state of Michigan who are going to stay home because, you know, where is that? And if, if not Biden, who does that? Because nobody seems to be doing that. Well, I agree completely with you on that. I mean, instead of arguing or making the public conversation about six or three or 1.5 or two, again, talk about childcare and people going back to work, businesses being able to open healthcare, that that's what we're fighting for. I would be running ads in West Virginia and Arizona asking cinema and, and mansion, what of these things do you want to cut? Because again, all of these issues benefit their people as well. So I should say, I guess, part one is the Republicans. Part two is it are these two Democrats that are making life very difficult. And part three, we can't forget, is the filibuster, which is standing. And if this showdown over the debt limit does not convince people that we need to deal with the filibuster, I guarantee you the fight that we're going to have very soon over voting rights absolutely will. No question about that. Now, you know, this is not going to come as a big shock to you or to anybody who listens to this podcast or anybody who has ever read anything I've written. I think the Biden administration is doing a pretty good job. I'm happy they're in there, not just because they're not Donald Trump, but because they're the ones that did the American Rescue Package and they're the ones that got vaccines out to 200 million people. And they're the ones that are finally appointing decent judges across America and doing it with a diverse group of people. And they got us out of a 20 year war in Afghanistan and they got us back into the Paris Accords. And they're trying to renegotiate the JCPOA and they're doing a whole bunch of things that I think are just great. So I'm pretty much in favor of them. But I don't get how they're selling this thing. You know, for the past two months, this has been about a $3.5 trillion deal, which A, only sets it up to fail because it's never going to be that much. And B, it's about a number. It's not about telling people what they're really getting out of it, which is the point that, that Karen is making here. But the president is not out there talking about it and leading the charge. The vice president, I think they have locked in the basement. I, I do I too. Know. Where is she? What is she doing? Like, <laughs> What's going on? And they've saddled her with every crap issue and given like no, re like nothing but Northern Triangle, abortion, voting but in rights. in a normal you know. administration, if you said, look, this is the heart of our agenda and it is also the linchpin that will determine whether we win next year and whether democracy will be preserved in America. So it's kind of important. You would take your cabinet and you would send them out. You would run ads. In Virginia, West Virginia, you would run ads in Arizona. You would be on every talk show. You would have clear talking points. Today would be hearing aid theme day. Tomorrow would be child care theme day. You know, you would be challenging people who are challenging this. You would use every tool in the book. And I don't feel like that's happening. Am I wrong? Is, is it happening? And I'm and I'm just missing it. No, in my no Karen, Karen's right. She, her, your, I mean. Karen, what would you do if you were there? I would do exactly as I you know, said and as David laid out. I would put everybody on the road selling the what is in the package. And I would talk about it in the context of things that we're trying to do 
yes, roads and bridges and the jobs that, and I would go to every state and talk about how many jobs that's going to create in that state, how many women and families can get back to work if we get childcare, how many more people could actually have healthcare. Think about the whole issue around Medicaid, those states that didn't take the expansion money, where these are the states where their hospitals are being flooded with new COVID patients. So yeah, I agree. I would go on offense and I would dare the Republicans to be against it. That's what I would do. And I agree. I would go theme by theme every day. And again, I would do a whole of government approach and have everybody out there and have my surrogates, every podcast, every television show, you know, every radio program, you name it, get people out there and change the conversation and remind the American people, this is what you voted for. This president is trying to do exactly what he said he was going to do, but it's not going to happen without your help. That's the kind of approach I I think we need. And just as a sidebar, I hear you about the vice president, although I will say she did do a very important thing. I believe it was either yesterday or today with Voto Latino to talk about voting rights. And she has been earlier this week. I know she met with the leadership of the Divine Nine, which are the Black sororities and fraternities, to talk about, talk with them and hear from them about the fight for voting rights. So, but again, I think the whole cabinet should be out there in force talking about what's at stake. I think the vice president's great. When I say she's not out there, I'm saying she should be out there. You know, I'm saying we need more. More. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, like, instead, you do have the cabinet. You've got Miguel Cardona, who's excellent, by the way, but he's out there just dealing with stupid like mask and vaccine mandates. Right. Like, I mean, he's pulled away here. Gina Raimondo. I mean, everyone is kind of getting pulled away. And yes, COVID is the most important thing, obviously, but it's almost like you can do two things at once and you can illustrate that the reason we need this multi-trillion, you're right, and we're not even talking about the dollars. The reason we need this is to get us out of the recession, near depression we have in COVID. Well, and also because people are still hurting. I heard that loud and clear again, you know, I do some polling and research work. And so in focus groups, We're hearing people say they need more help. Seniors need more help, for example. You know, we also have a pattern where a lot of people, because of COVID, were forced into retirement. And they're now trying to navigate living on a fixed income. Housing costs have doubled in lots of parts of the country. So, again, in families, yes, the child tax credit was a big help. Let's make it permanent. People are, you know, part of what you hear from voters is as people are trying to get back on their feet, they need help to do it. Well, I also think, look, the flaw in Afghanistan was not getting out of Afghanistan. The flaw in Afghanistan was not planning for the worst case. And I think in this, we have to do the same thing. The worst case is cinema walks in and does a grand John McCain gesture with a thumbs down. And this, certainly the reconciliation package, dies at that point. And where would you be in that situation? Well, you'd be looking squarely at 2022, and you'd be looking squarely at the prospect of Speaker Kevin McCarthy and McConnell chairing a majority 
and Biden being impeached and ending democracy in the United States. So what do you do? Well, when you run your campaign to support this bill in a way that it does everything in its power to increase the possibility you win in 2022 by associating Democrats with helping everybody, Republicans, independents, people in every part of the world, people on Main Street, and saying, look, the Republicans have no initiatives. The Republicans are just cutting taxes for the rich. We want to go back. They're the reverse Robin Hoods. They're taking from the poor to give to the rich. We want to make it fair. And we want to use that money to invest in Americans like you, in your grandma, in your kids, in your house, in your roads, and so forth. So that when somebody goes to the polls, they've had six months of Democrats going out there and saying that. Now, am I, you know, am I just smoking something? No. Well, I don't know. But no, no. (laughs) You're right. The other thing that I would do, David, because I completely agree with you, is I would push to get all these Republicans on the record, on camera. And I would take the video of them voting against the rescue plan, voting against the reconciliation package. And I would run the ads that said in their districts, because remember what happened after the American Rescue Plan passed, Republicans voted against it, but went home and took credit for it, didn't they? So you got to also make sure they don't go home and try to take credit for it. So you run ads that show people, here's who stood up for you. Here's who was fighting for you. But I'll tell you, I know we haven't gotten to it yet. We got to get this done. No question. But there's two other issues. Kavita kind of touched on it. Hanging out there, to my mind as a Democratic strategist, are going to be make or break for Democrats. And that is protecting the constitutional rights of women and protecting the rights of the freedom to vote. If those two things don't happen, it's, I mean, it's game over. You might as well forget about trying to win in 2022. Or 24, for that matter, I feel like. It just feels like if that happens, Karen, it just, it feels like that's going to be like ripping out the intestines of democracy. And who knows, it'll take a lifetime to get it back. I mean, I just, I can't. I've got, I got, I, I, I agree with you 100%. And I got some bad news for you. Oh, come on, David. We're trying yeah, to be peachy. I, I, I know, I know. It's peachy keen. Trying to be peachy keen. Well, um, but I, but I got to tell you, we're going to lose women's control over their reproductive. I mean, she's. It's going. It's going to happen this year. Well, the Supreme Court is. I agree. In I mean, as I don't know if we've talked about this on your show, David. I am the vice chair of the board of NARAL Pro Choice America, and along with the other reproductive justice groups, fighting. Uh, we're fighting hard on this. I do believe that the Supreme Court is going to strip away Roe v. Wade. They are. I, they are. I think they made that very clear. That may be an issue, you know, in the election next year. But, you know, as far as vo- voting rights, you know, again, we've got, you know, these, these people who are standing out as an impediment to it. I mean, Kavita, we have here Karen, who is a strategist on this. You know, what's on your mind that, you know, what are the questions that we need to be answering? 
in general, kind of, uh, or well, just so that Karen could answer for us. Oh, I think Karen. I mean, I'm, I, she knows I'm a huge fan of her work, and I, I, I know that we've had talented strategists inside the White House. Biden does, in the form of Anita Dunn, and people that are your friends, probably. But we could use a little bit of like a real world dose of Karen Finney. So I, I just feel like we need. I would like to understand. Did you see my column in the Daily Beast yesterday? I didn't. No, I've, I've uh, been distracted. I can't. I'm leaving. And you just do this podcast yourself because like, if you don't read it. <laughs> no, the, the punchline of my column was a quote from somebody that I was I was in D.C. during the week. And, and they said this administration has too many press secretaries and not enough communications directors. Exactly. So that's what I wanted to ask, Karen. So and I'm and I, you don't need to name. Well, you could name names, but through your focus group work, your strategy work and with your NARAL leadership, all your leadership hats on the public. I've noticed with even in covid, Karen, they can't take that much like you just can't. It's like too much. And you're already dealing with a public who's basically brains have been blown up with this pandemic. So what are the critical things to get across? And we used to talk about RPs, real people in the Obama administration. The pandemic's limited that interaction. but. What are kind of the top three things we could actually start doing? And if the White House doesn't do it, I mean, state and local leaders, what, what's the right kind of set of actions? Yeah, look, I think that the number one thing, as we've been talking about, I mean, obviously, continue to get people safe from COVID, right? Continue to make clear. And, you know, one of the things I would do on COVID is not talk about it as forward and back, but rather this is going to be a windy road because it's a virus and it's going to be twists and turns, but we're going to tell you how to keep yourself and your family safe, right? So there's clear communication about what you need to do. And as part of that narrative, here's what we're trying to do to help everybody recover, trying to get businesses back open, trying to help people get back to work, people get back on their feet. And again, make it stick to three or four things that are in that are from, this is from the American Families Plan and the American Jobs Act, which is now what is in the reconciliation bill. And just keep saying the same things over and over and over again. Get leaders at the state and local level, but just keep it simple. Stay on message and stay focused on, again, we talked about getting the cabinet out there. We know they, you know, cabinet members, governors, mayors, those are people who can get in newspapers. People still read the local newspaper every single day. They'll get on the local news. Keep it simple, but keep it consistent, clear, consistent messaging, because we are in a situation where it's very hard to break through. People are also just exhausted. We're all just exhausted, right? So that's part of why you have to keep it consistent, because you want people to hear it Numerous times is the other thing that I would do. I would also, frankly, engage, look at engaging, you know, Hollywood, artists, musicians, do it as public awareness campaigns, if with and where you can. And I just want to say one more thing with regard to women's reproductive health. The Women's uh, Health Protection Act passed the House. It's in the Senate. Now, here's what I would do as a strategist. You're not going to get Joe Manchin, but Susan Collins told her voters that she was pro-choice. And we know that she was 
did a terrible thing in voting for Kavanaugh, but she gave us a rationale that turned out to be 100% false as we all knew it would be. Go to some of the women in the Republican Party who are pro-choice, who have pro-choice constituencies that they are accountable to and get that passed. Get the Women's Health Protection Act passed and that will codify Roe v. Wade. We'll still have to ballot out in the Supreme Court, but at least you will start to give some foundation to protect women's health. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Picking up on, 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 the, on the earlier point about communication strategies, there are a few other things that seem like it would make sense. Like, yeah, I know we're fighting these battles right now, but it's October 2021. In a year and a month, these elections are going to take place. We know what seats are going to be contested. We could be right now delivering these messages in a thoughtful way in all of those places. We could be right now, you know, showing that we're, you know, a couple of moves ahead of the other guys on these things. And I don't, you know, I don't see that happening. Another thing that seems to me to be like a no brainer is there ought to be a group in a room in the White House right now planning for what the rollout is going to be once whatever passes passes. And they are there ought to be a group that's saying this is a big success. Because, for example, let me just, you know, say it's a $2 trillion reconciliation package and a $1 trillion infrastructure package. Everybody, you know, Axios and Politico and all those characters are going to be running stories saying, what a come down for Biden. He only got half of what he wanted. This is a big failure and so on and so forth. On the other hand, $2 trillion plus $1 trillion plus $1.9 trillion for the American Rescue Package, plus the American Competitiveness Package, plus all this other stuff, that's $5 trillion bucks plus. And somebody could be out there saying, what about Joe Biden's $5 trillion year? What about the biggest investment in modern history being made in the American people? What about doing this with not a single Republican vote? Having a strategy to make it look like a win. But I don't get a sense that that's being done. Well, in theory, there is an, or- there is an organization, the Build Back Better org, that is supposed to be as I understand it, this is part of what they're supposed to be doing. The other tool or option that you have is to use the Democratic National Committee to help. Do we still have one of those? Is there a, is there a Democratic National Committee? There is, and they are investing in, in red states and they're investing in voter protection. But I think, again, you have to use all the tools of the president of when you are when you have the White House, when you have Congress to drive your right, not only drive your message leading up, but then the rollout. And then, as I said before, next year, making sure that in those key districts, the voters know the Republicans who did not support it to help our candidates. I spend a lot of my time with the psychology of Mitch McConnell because I've been on the receiving end of being burned by so many deals we've tried to do with him when I was in the Senate. Um, So I feel like I know the guy, but you know, I'm I'm sitting there looking at, you know, even Biden making these hints and people kind of saying, you know, yeah, for the sake of like getting this through, we're looking at a filibuster carve out or whatever you want to call it. I think we got really close. And I know that we couldn't let the global economy like tank and penalize not the rich people, 
but all the other working people who would have seen their pension funds drop. But I, I think that's partly why McConnell kind of said, like, sure, fine, I'll give you six weeks to make it seem like some act of heroism. I think it was Marie, it was Senator Hirono. I've had rumors because of friends who were working who said she actually said, fuck this or so. She said something like expletive laid when they kind of heard the deal. But I think what got caught was something that didn't sound so bad, but I, she's right. So I'm just curious, like we could have maybe gotten to where we said end the filibuster or whatever. Do you think that I would hope that with women's rights, or I would I would hope with something that there could be some legislative action to Karen's point, it's picking off Murkowski and Collins, which we would always try to do. But could we do something that calls that question to, to place? And did you think that that was actually getting close to something real or just posturing? I think it was closer to being real than it's ever been. And it was just posturing. I mean, I, I don't think they wanted to do it. I think it was an empty threat. And I think in terms of filibuster reform, you're still not there yet with Manchin and Cinema, And I don't know where you are with Dianne Feinstein, you know, and some of the others who were sort of wobbly about this. And I feel fairly certain that if it's, you know, midnight on some night in December, one second after midnight, the U.S. economy is going to blow up and we're going to be in a global depression, that Manchin and Cinema will come up with the narrowest possible carve out to enable the Democrats to push this thing through, but they're not going to do it to save democracy. They're not going to do it to guarantee voter rights. Well, here's the thing. You're, you may be right about that. We can talk in a minute about all the reasons why it should be done. But I think, I do think you're right. And the way I would frame it to Kirsten Cinema and to Joe Manchin to put it in their own interest is, if you don't, if we don't get this done, the measures that are passing, sweeping this country, that are disenfranchising, that are literally anti-voter, anti-voting measures that make it harder for rural voters to vote, the tribes, Native Americans, seniors, young people, disabled people, and black and brown people. Now they both, and Democrats cannot win anymore without multicultural coalitions. Kirsten Cinema literally will not be able to win if Arizona, I mean, look at what is going on in Arizona. I mean, they are leading the charge of pushing the big lie on the Hill. The lawyer would refuse to even say admit that Joe Biden won the election in Arizona. So she needs to start living, to my mind, for Manchin, he is in a state that is, you know, his voters are rural. They are older. It's a very small African-American population. But again, and obviously it's a state that Trump won quite handily. But again, I think part of what then some of the other Democrats, you mentioned Feinstein, I've heard there's about three or four others who are kind of hiding behind Cinema and Mansion, and I think the the president and the vice president are going to have to call those folks out if that's what it gets to. And I think we have got to make it clear they will not win without black and brown voters. And let me tell you guys something: I sat in a meeting with the vice president, with black women leaders from around the country, from some of the top organizations. We had also had women from Fulton County, Georgia, 
African-American woman who was kicked off the governor of the Republican governor of Georgia, kicked her off the local election board. That's one of the other things that's happening. We had a couple of the Texas state legislators with us. The dire need at the local level, we had activists in there who said, we literally are doing everything we can. We put, we did everything we can to turn it out in 2020. There's nothing else we can do without your help. To try, and the goal, part of the goal of the meeting was to impress again upon the White House how urgent and dire this really is at the grassroots level. I just think it's important to also sound the alarm. Democrats will not be able to just from the mechanics of voting on top of what's happening with redistricting, we won't be able to win. Is this just a thing, Karen? Do we have to go to that distance? Kind of, do we go to David's doomsday scenario of all these rights being stripped away because that's what it's going to take to kind of shake the Democratic Party, to your point? I mean, I candidly, I thought that like January 6th, all of this chaos would fractionate a little bit of like the Trump kind of Republican influence. I thought a little bit, no way, no, no how. So they're still running to your point on Trump. So do we, you know, do we have to get to this point in order to realize what we stand for again? Because it's hard to feel that way as Democrats. I thought we just did that for the last four years. Well, that's what I think too, but I feel like we're still to me. So I'll give you a good example. And both of you were smarter, like how, how can we not get Stephen Breyer? He, he needs to resign. Like we have a tenuous hold a period on the Senate. And we know that like they could pull a Merrick Garland, which they probably will and use invoke as we get closer to 24, some sort of BS like they, McConnell did before. What is going on? Like, I mean, is it just that we've given up on some of these things? We're still seeing a lot of judiciary appointments held up. I mean, the tactics and playbook has not changed. It's just Boom, 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 boom. People in queue. So many daps is like DAS's kind of David, you know, political appointees sitting in limbo. All for this. So yeah, I don't know. I know it's a rant, not a question, I guess. But you know, what do we well this is this is group therapy, but I, you know, you guys both started this out. And you said, well, if this is peachy keen, I'm feeling it is. You know why? The one peachy keen thing, the one peachy keen thing is that we're seeing, I, I actually think. 2022, we'll be able to maybe do this in person because I I really do think that with kids getting vaccinated and more global manufacturing facilities being stood up, I actually think we're going to hopefully cautiously optimistic turn a corner uh, in our country and in EU countries and in Asia on COVID. So, you know, well, that's 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 good news. And that screws up my big conclusion here by being positive. Because I listen to everything that you're saying here, and I have to say, Roe v. Wade has nothing to do with political process that's going to take place. It has to do with the political process that's taken place for the past 20 years. So, you know, Roe v. Wade is gone because of the past 20 years. The Democrats are not going to undo the filibuster. They're not going to protect voting rights in a serious way. The Democrats are not going to reconstitute the Supreme Court, even though they must, even though it's absolutely essential that they do it. And it's been done several times in American history. All these things that we talk about are traditions. They're not traditions. And it looks to me, as I listen to both of you guys, like the Democrats are setting themselves up for a big fall. 
So how the hell is that peachy keen? It's not. I was being sarcastic. I usually am sarcastic when I say peachy, by the way. <laughs> I am um, too, usually, but I, I, always <laughs> I always come with doom and gloom and death. So, yeah. Look, I'm still hopeful that we're going to get something done. And I certainly would encourage Democrats when it comes to this reconciliation package. You know, it's like the Affordable Care Act. You know, Kavita, better than anybody. You may not, we may not get everything, but let's let's get some enough done that because what did we see happen with the Affordable Care Act? Once it was in there, once people had it, they didn't want it taken away. So I think we've got to be we we can't do surf, you know, surf firing squad at each other. We've got to say, all right, let's get done what we let's push to get as much as we can, get it in there, get the money flowing, get the program stood up. And the other thing, I just thought of another thing I would do. You guys were asking me if I were, if it was my strategy. I would put more real people who represent these issues on television. I would put voters. I would put children. I would put working mothers. I would put people who need health care from these targeted districts that David was talking about. Put them out there. Make it so that they have to say no to those folks. I agree. That that's good thinking. It is. No, it's a great uh, that image of the little black boy with Obama in the Oval Office, kind of around, you know, in his like three piece suit. Like there are some things seared in your mind, and we should be doing more of that. I mean, just no question. You know, and to her credit, Kamala Harris, the vice president, is kind of she. You, you've been in meetings with her. She's doing that, but it's not getting front and center. You know, what's getting coverage is, I would argue, like nothing that has direct kind of it doesn't relate to real people in the way you describe well i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap this up by trying to pick up on all the positive themes here so that we can end up in the right place it looks like the democrats have a decent chance of passing something it looks like that'll include bipartisan infrastructure package however you consider it which is about a trillion dollars about half a trillion of new money it looks like it'll conclude at least 1.5 trillion dollars of the reconciliation package, which is good things for people, for kids, for old people, for working people, for the environment, for resilience, for competitiveness. And that where there are ways to do that, where A, it's paid for, and B, you you get to the smaller number by shortening the years of the bill and rely on what Karen just said, which is once you give it to them, it's hard to take it away from them. And then that gets you into 2022 in the best possible way. I think the reason that we have a problem with Mansion and Cinema is that Mansion knows he can't lose and Cinema knows she can't win. Cinema's done at the end of this, I think, given the Marshall. Well, she is now. Yeah, <laughs> she is and, now, right. Right. And, <laughs> and so she's got nothing to lose. And I think that's why the critical thing, in addition to the swing districts in the House, because if Kevin McCarthy is the Speaker of the House, I don't know what Caribbean island I'm moving to. But, you know, so long as there's good Wi-Fi, I'll be there. But um, I think we, we have to recognize that we need a couple more Democratic senators. And we've got to focus in 2022 to disempowering Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. We need real Democrats who believe in real Democratic things. And that doesn't mean wild haired, crazy people, because there are people like John Tester out there who are moderates, but who are sensible and who want to help people because they're Democrats, you know? 
So there are ways to get to these things. And if we can win those things, then we can save democracy. Then we can, you know, do the things that are are necessary to, to get a win in 2024. The path is there, but there sure are a lot of impediments on it. Well, hopefully we can continue this conversation. It's always great to have you join us, Karen. And uh, Kavita, week to week, I am some, I'm absolutely committed to lifting your spirits somehow. <laughs> Thank you. Keep at it, guys. That's it's right. great to be with you. Thank you very much. And uh, folks, if you want to know more about what we've got going on, go to the dsrnetwork.com. And if you like what we're doing, click on membership. Go on, click on membership. You know, for the price of like a latte a month, you can help us continue to do what we're doing. And uh, we'd be grateful for that. In the meantime, uh, although Kavita is positive about the trends within COVID, uh, be careful. Take care of yourselves out there and we'll see you all again soon. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.